We thank the Lord that he is here and that his presence is within the hearts of each and every believer, for we are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, this is a very challenging time for many. Uh, people are hurting. Uh, people are confused. Uh, people are afraid. And this is a time when the church should stand its tallest. And so I invite you uh, as members of the family at New Direction Bible Fellowship and also our partners who are following this ministry from different parts of the world, uh, different parts of the country. I pray that you would join with us as God would continue to help us to fulfill the vision that he's given to a New Direction Bible Fellowship. Many churches are struggling uh, right now because uh, people have stopped giving. And uh, so I want to lift up the pastors and the congregations uh, and just to ask the Lord to impress upon the hearts of the, his people that the work of the kingdom is really bursting out of the scenes. People are getting saved. Uh, churches are growing uh, through live streaming. Uh, many pastors are reaching far more many people. Uh, uh, people than they had been prior to to uh, uh, the coronavirus. And so we just thank the Lord for this wonderful opportunity. And so we ask again that you would uh, join us and participate as we continue to support the work of the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we're so grateful that we are a part of what you're doing in the world. Father, we have no cause to be afraid because you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And God, we are so eternally thankful that the comforter has come and he is the one who is guiding us that we might have a word in season uh, that will minister a proceeding word uh, to those who are hurting at this time. And so God, take this word that will be shared today and honor and bless your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We praise the Lord. And I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Word of God, the 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 through 22. We are going to be partaking of the Lord's table today. So uh, I invite you to get your, 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 your punch, your fruit, your grape juice, and your cracker uh, that when it is time following the message that you can uh, join us as we commune together. I have been um, amazed to uh, observe as I go in and out of the hospital, uh, Chick-fil-A <laughs> continues uh, to have long lines of customers waiting to be served uh, at their location. And what's amazing to me during this time of uh, COVID-19 is that most of the people that are driving to get chicken from chicken filet, they have to pass sometimes uh, going miles away uh, local establishments that sell the same product that Chick-fil-A sells. 
But for whatever reason, people find themselves flocking to this establishment. And so the question for me was, what is it about Chick-fil-A that sets it apart from other chicken joints? <laughs> and if there was one word that would distinguish them, it would be service. Uh, when you go to Chick-fil-A, you feel important. You sense that the company uh, takes your business seriously. You matter to them. And so we will go out of our way and be inconvenienced by long lines to purchase from Chick-fil-A while we will ignore other establishments. How many of you know that if you remove that one word that separates chicken filet out of their practice, the word service, uh, it would simply become just another establishment that sells um, chicken. And so it's the way they make you feel the way they connect with you, that human touch, that going the extra step keeps you going back, keeps you spending your money. It doesn't matter how beautiful a facility is, how updated the technology is, even if the food is great and the prices are reasonable, if you feel that you're getting bad service and people don't appreciate your hard-earned money that you're spending at their facility, you're going to stop spending money at that establishment. I want you to know that the same is true in the church, that church ought to be a place where you feel that those who call themselves Christians, Jesus said, you shall know them, that they're my disciples by their love, that you feel important, that you feel um, that you matter. And if you don't feel welcome, if you feel excluded, like chicken filet, you can take your business somewhere else. And so when we come to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, of course, is he's talking about communion, but he's also talking about how bad the Corinthian believers were treating each other and how hard it was to attend the church, to partake of something that should have been one of the most sacred experiences that believers can share together. And so I want to continue our series today. I've entitled Be the Church. We learned on last time that you are the church. You are the church. But what we're going to discover today about being the church is that one of the ordinances that the Lord left to the church as a command 
to observe until he comes is the ordinance or the ritual of Holy Communion. The second ordinance is baptism. What we're going to see from the word of God is that it is impossible to have communion without communing. <laughs> you must commune before you can have communion. You've got to treat each other the way Christ has described in the word of God. We've got to treat each other right. How about somebody say amen? I hear that amen. I hear that amen. Praise the Lord. You cannot have communion without communing. Now, let, let's listen to the passage again from uh, verses 18 through 22 in chapter 11. Listen to the word of God. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worst. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the other, and one is hungry and the other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat in, or do you despise the church of God? And shame those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? I do not praise you. The Apostle Paul, as you read further into the chapter, verses 23 through the end of the, 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 that uh, chapter, he's talking specifically about behaviors that are occurring during and before the partaking of communion. Now, before we delve into the passage, I, I want to help you to understand uh, terms that we don't commonly use and don't have a thorough understanding of. The word communion, the word communion, uh, when it doesn't have reference to partaking of uh, the Lord's table, and we'll talk more about that. It is used in the scripture referring to Christians in the same way that we use the term fellowship. The word communion and fellowship are synonyms. They are synonymous. And the word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, koinonia, which means to be a joint participant in something or with someone, to be a joint participant in something or with someone. And it also means to share something in common. I've often said this in, uh, for humor's sake, but it does capture the idea. Fellowship means two fellows in the same ship. You're a joint participant in something or with someone and you share something in common. Now, for Christians, fellowship is more than a, a group of brothers uh, sitting around and eating Dunkin' Donuts and having free coffee. Fellowship is more than uh, clicking the I like sign on Facebook. 
Fellowship is much richer and deeper and supernatural. In fact, fellowship is so uh, intimate and so uh, spiritually rooted when it comes to the church that when, as you study the word of God, the only relationships that will extend beyond time into eternity is the fellowship that Christians have one with another. When you and I go to heaven, we will continue to be brothers and sisters. And so we, that, that relationship does not end. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. So the relationship is an eternal one. That's why when Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven, that we ought to be experiencing the same kind of koinonia between one another that the divine trinity, the Godhead, is experiencing in heaven. So let me help you uh, with this, this term uh, communing or fellowship that we don't frequently use by giving you some, some, some synonyms. The word fellowship has the, the idea of empathy. Uh, that is the ability to walk in another person's shoes while they're going through difficult circumstances in such a way that you identify and are able to express mercy and grace and patience. So koinonia between Christians requires empathy, that I feel you, I understand you, I'm going to bear your burdens, I'm going to walk through this with you because I understand that I am my brother's keeper. Another word uh, that is a synonym is connecting with other people because of a genuine commitment to meaningful relationships. It's connecting for the purpose of developing meaningful relationships. It's more than how you doing, sis? How you doing? Well, I'm doing good. How? And God is good all the time. God is good. And you're hoping uh, after you've made those uh, those gestures of courtesy that people don't literally say, well, let me tell you how I'm really doing. Fellowship is genuinely committed to knowing how people are really doing to develop close ties for personal intimacy in Christ. Here's another word, conversing involves communion or fellowshipping. Koinonia involves conversing uh, with people about real issues in life that are deeper than, yeah, it's so cold outside and what did you eat last night? And, uh, oh, I see you got your Bible. I really like that hairstyle. No, it's conversing with people about real life issues, their aspirations, their, free, their fears, their dreams, what they're going through with their family and how they are overcoming challenges in their job, how they've experienced victory. It's the idea that Paul talked about, God being the God of all comfort, who comforts us that we may strengthen and comfort and encourage one another. So it, it involves conversing with the intention of drawing out from people things that really matter to them. Fellowship for Christians, communing uh, as believers, also involves communicating, not just saying words, 
uh, but communicating. That is, you work hard to be understood by others and you invest the same type of commitment and diligence to understand other people. And one of the things that I've found that people God has delivered from really serious addictions and bad habits, it's often funny to me how ill-tempered and intolerant they are for people who are struggling with far less issues or sometimes similar issues. And they don't have time. You know, they, they'll cut you off just as quick as they can see you. But fellowship, koinonia, doesn't cut people off. Koinonia listens with the ear to understand so that you can know how to properly respond in a way that pleases God. Another thing that is involved with koinonia is resolving conflict. You just don't get upset with people and hold grudges or you remain unforgiving or uh, feel comfortable to slander people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 that if your brother offends you, go to them. One of the most uh, unrepented of sins in the church is the lack of conflict resolution. We don't go and tell people when we are offended. We don't go with the idea as of, I don't just want to be right. I'm going to get this off my chest. I'm going to let you know how I feel. I'm saved, but not that saved. No, 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 no. Rec uh, the reason why Jesus said that we should go is to be reconciled. The goal is to solve the conflict, not to be right about how you feel about what has caused the tension. And he says, if you go in private and you tell the person and they receive what you're saying, you won that person. And now you have reconciliation. You have harmony. In you. you have koinonia again. You have fellowship. I'm telling you, this thing we talk about regarding communing with one another and fellowship, it's deep. It deals with real life issues. Here's a final uh, uh, um, synonym uh, uh, for fellowship and going in. It's loving people unconditionally and demonstrating it by your actions. We say, I love everybody. Oh, I love uh, the body of Christ. And then somebody looks at you sideways. And God forgive them. You know, somebody, you, you fool me once. God, it's on, on me. Fool me twice. Well, however they say it. Uh, we, 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 we don't have in practice agape Love, the unconditional in spite of active love. But koinonia keeps pursuing. Koinonia keeps on embracing uh, the object of its commitment to being like Christ. And so when we talk about fellowship, we're not just talking about something that's really casual or haphazard. I am afraid of people who call themselves Christians who can just cut you off. Uh, they, you get upset with them or if they they don't feel like you understand or you feeling them and are you 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 know you interfering with their 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 flow their rhythm their schedule you you know you're not on their level they just will totally ignore you but i hear the word of god say in first john chapter 1 cha chapter 1 verse 7 it says but if we walk in the light as jesus is in the light if we walk in holiness 
in righteousness. If we are in fellowship, koinonia with Jesus, the Bible says, then we will have koinonia, share in common, be a joint participant in with one another. One of the greatest evidences of your spiritual maturity is how do you get along with other Christians? And even deeper than that, he says, you, we will have fellowship one with another if we walk in, in, in the light. The proof of walking in the light is not just our vertical relationship with God, but our horizontal relationship with one another. This may even be an evidence based on how you treat people. It ain't you and your, me and my Jesus got it going on and ah, nobody understand me but the Lord and the rest of you all, okay, the rest of you all, the way you feel about us, <laughs> may be an indication that you really don't know Jesus. Because in 1 John it says, how can you love God who you have not seen and hate your brother who God created and saved through the blood of Jesus who you see all the time? You say, well, I don't hate anybody. I don't just don't like them. Well, find like in the Bible for me. We said, I just don't like, well, we can hate somebody's ways and their sin, but God loves sinners. He loves everybody. And so the first thing we want to do, we want to be clear on this, what it means to commune. It means to be a joint participant in, to share in common. It's deeper than just going through superficial pleasantries. Now, a second thing that I want to consider is what was the problem that led the Apostle Paul to rebuke the Corinthians? In fact, he said, I'm not pleased. I'm not going to pat you on the back for mistreating each other. I'm not going to uh, uh, gloss, gloss over this. God doesn't wink when we mistreat other Christians, when, when, we, when church hurts. Church shouldn't hurt. He said, let's, let's consider why the Apostle Paul rebuked them. Now, when you go back to verses 18 through 22, what you're going to see is the phrase three times. He says, when you come together as a church, when you come together as a church, when you come together as a church. And the interesting thing is that the church, for the most part, met from house to house. But apparently, when it came to this particular meeting for the Lord's table, the, the expression that is repeated three times, he says, when you come together in one place for the purpose of celebrating the Lord's table, certain things should not be occurring. And so the interesting uh, part of that phrase is that this was the, seems like one of the times when the church at large in the area of Corinth would meet in a singular place or a larger gathering of the church for the purpose of partaking of a Lord's table. Now, the problem for this church is we're going to see that they their theology was right. <laughs> they had the bread, they had the wine, they had the food. They knew that that was a part of the command. Jesus says, when you eat and you drink, you show forth my death and uh, and suffering until I come again. Their theology was correct. What they left out was the agape, the eschatot, their ecclesiology, their church, the church uh, being set apart for the purpose of building one another up. They excluded that as a part of their experience. In fact, <clears throat> during the first century, uh, the Lord's table was called the agape feast, the love feast. 
And so when the church gathered, it was a, a it was supposed to be a time of celebration. They had a full course meal. They had singing, and they before they uh, uh, partook of the the actual element. This was a a, a real koinonia experience. At least that was what it was intended to be. And so <clears throat> they came together for the right reasons in First Corinthians chapter. Uh, uh, 11 verses 25 through 26 says, do this in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till it comes. The theology of it, Jesus commanded that the church come together. He doesn't say how many times we do it, but he says as often as you do it, you show forth my death and suffering until I come again. So they had the theology part right. The problem was <laughs> the people that were coming, some of them were leaving worse are feeling worse than they did when they came. They came for celebration, but they left feeling rejected. They left feeling excluded. In fact, Paul says, you come together for the worse. You come together and you leave worse than when you arrived. Church shouldn't be the kind of experience when you get there, you celebrate, you pray to the Lord, you're looking forward to experiencing brothers and sisters, uh, uh, expressing God's love to you. And instead, you get the Corinthian experience. Uh, now, one of the most desired vacations um, has been for years, uh, cruises, luxury cruises, ships are like floating palaces. Uh, and most of the people that have traveled are repeat customers. But as a result of COVID-19, things have changed about going on cruises. Now what's different? After you paid your money to do this trip of a lifetime, nobody boards a ship with the idea that you're going to get exposed to somebody who may be asymptomatic, but they have been infected with the coronavirus. And the next thing you know, you have an epidemic on the, on the ship. Now, it doesn't matter how great the music is and how abundant the food is and the entertainment and, and, and uh, the, the, how many pools they have on deck. Your dream trip now becomes a nightmare. You went on the cruise to have a the time of your life. But when you end up being exposed to infected people and you now are in danger of contracting the disease yourself, you're going to think three and four and five times about boarding a cruise ship in the future. I want you to know that when God talks about the bride, the, the church, the temple, the house of God, uh, uh, he speaks of it in glowing terms that the church is better than a luxury liner, better than a floating city, better than a floating uh, 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 Las Vegas on, on water. The church of God was, is the ransom bride of Jesus. And so when you become a part of the body of Christ, we're all on the same ship. We're fellows on the same ship. But there ought not be people on the ship that are infected with negative spirits and, and, and unforgiving spirits and selfish spirits and, and, and critical 
uh, spirits, uh, people that use their tongue not to build up, but to tear down. Because when you, when you experience that in the context of the church, Paul says that you, were, you end up worse off than you were before you came. He said, I'm not going to pat you on the back because you, you, you people left church hurt and wounded. God forbid. The church ought to be a place where the believers come together to build one another up and we can celebrate the goodness of the Lord because God has been faithful. But if we are not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become infectors in the hand of the enemy to contaminate other believers. The Bible actually says it this way, a little leaven, leaven if the whole lump, a little sin in the church that we know about and do nothing about. Sometimes we think of a sin of these, you know, somebody committed adultery, somebody robbed a bank, oh, they got, they, they, they got fired for stealing. No, no. God also talks about as a priority is not only loving him, but loving one another as you love yourself. Now, let me quickly give some, some specific reasons why the Apostle Paul rebuked the church. He says in verses, uh, verse 18b, he says, there's division among you. There's division among you. That Greek word is schismata, which means uh, schism. We get our uh, English word schism or division. And the word division, the prefix means two, and the suffix vision is, it, it means two visions. And the picture is this. The church is supposed to be a seamless garment, like a woman's dress, a flowing dress. And what has happened because of division, because people have their own agendas and are part of cliques, the church has tears in it. It's been, there's a, it's been rented. It's been torn. Now, I don't know any sister who has a dress on and somehow you get a snag in it, you're not going to try to do something to fix it. Well, they weren't trying to fix it. Now, let me share some things with that. What they, they were divided over. They were divided over leadership. They were following a men rather than Christ. They were divided over spiritual gifts. Some people thought to be more spiritual, you had to speak in tongues. And if you didn't speak in tongues, then you somehow were less spiritual than they were. And that Paul actually wrote, writes uh, two chapters are devoted to spiritual gifts. Chapters 12 through, actually chapters 12 through 14, so three chapters to address that issue. They were divided over education. There were people in the church who were educated and they were looking down on the uneducated, the ones who were undegreed. And Paul reminds them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, he says, don't forget your calling. Don't forget that when Christ called you out of sin, it wasn't because of your academic accomplishment. And so they were divided. Those who had degrees and those who were accomplished academically were less likely to associate with people who were not educated. Uh, they were divided over wealth. The, the, will, the wealthy had food and they had uh, transportation. And so when they would arrive at the communion, they would bring their own food, but they wouldn't share it with people who, who were out of work, who people who were standing in food lines. And so they were divided over, 
over wealth. They divide over Christian liberties in chapters 8 through 9 in 1 Corinthians. Uh, can a Christian uh, eat meat that was offered to idols? Can a Christian go to the movies? Can a Christian have a, a, a glass of wine? Can women wear pants or lipstick or earrings? So they were divided over things that the Bible doesn't mandate or give absolute commands on. And so there was, con there was a division. And those were, I'm going to categorize the things that I've already shared as unbiblical reasons to be divided. We can differ in our opinion, but it's not a basis for separating and breaking fellowship with someone. Here's another reason. Singles were uh, believed to be more spiritual than married. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, people who were married were starting to divorce their mates because they thought that sex was sinful. And so to purify their bodies, they were beginning to leave their mates and Paul wrote to them to say that divorce was not permissible as a way of somehow becoming more spiritual. They were divided over that. Uh, they were divided over doctrine. Was the, was the uh, resurrection necessary? They were divided over giving. The Corinthians had committed to give to the re to the, uh, uh, the to the church of Jerusalem that had gone through a famine, a drought, and then they reneged on it. They weren't going to give up nothing. So Paul says, "Look, I'm going to send uh, some brothers to come and pick up the money you promised." And so there was division about should we or shouldn't we, uh, you know, we're not in the church building now. Maybe we don't have the tithe. Uh, I don't know why we got to pay now. Well, the tithe belongs to the Lord. And, but this, this was a reason they were divided. But then there were some, uh, those were unbiblical reasons. Here's some biblical reasons that they were divided. Paul says factions are necessary. There are times when you should part and, 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 and decide that you're not going to be in a meaningful fellowship with a person who professes to be Christian. And that can be because of doctrinal differences. There are people who don't believe that there's a hell. There are people who don't believe that Jesus is God in human form. There are people who don't believe that Jesus was virgin born. They don't believe that you can be saved and not lose your salvation. And so sometimes it's necessary to separate from people who are in era or they have heretical beliefs. And also there are times to separate when people by their beliefs are revealing they aren't they don't they aren't saved. Paul says this is how we know and distinguish when people know Jesus and when they don't is by having discussions about sound doctrine. And so he says faction, there are biblical reasons when division is appropriate. Uh, I was, it, it was. I found it really amazing when I read a story about uh, some news uh, reporters who were doing a study on the insane asylum uh, many years ago, and they were visiting one of the largest institutions where criminally insane murderers, rapists, and uh, child molesters were housed. And when they went, they noticed that <laughs> something really was unusual. Uh, for every one staff member, there were about five, there were five patients in the same facility in the same area. And so, so um, the, uh, the, the news reporters got kind of nervous. And aren't you guys kind of worried that these guys will overpower you after all? They, they are in here for murdering uh, uh, and, and, and horrible crimes. And then one of the workers responded and said, well, we don't worry about it because lunatics never unite. Lunatics never unite. 
How foolish it is for Christians to be saved by the same blood of Jesus on our way to glory because Christ died for us on our way to a place where we're going to be rewarded for being obedient to the Lord in a position where the spirit of God can work through us. And yet we are divided. Yet there's schisms, schisms in, in the body of Christ. How foolish is that? Paul says, I rebuke you. For the division, he rebuked them for the disregard of one another. He says, each one of you takes his own supper ahead of the other. They were not interested in uh, esteeming the interest of others above their own. They were only concerned about their group, their clique. Churches should not have cliques. Churches should not have ex exclusive groups that don't allow you to participate because you lack the education, you lack the finances, or you don't have the same gifts, you don't live in the same rent district, you don't drive the same kind of vehicles. And unfortunately, we judge spirituality and significance by what people drive, where they live, and their academic credentials. That's not how God looks at us. The Bible says that there's no partiality with the Lord. There's no Jew nor Greek. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. And so Paul says, you have no, no regard for one another. They arrogantly and, 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 and ignorantly excluded others by mistreating members in the church. It, 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 it's harmful when we exclude people for reasons that are unbiblical. They were also disrespecting the true purpose of communion. He says, what do you, what, what do you not have houses to eat and to drink? Or, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? No, I don't praise you. They were coming to communion and they were getting blasted. They were drinking the whole thing. They didn't have uh, Welch's grape juice. They had real wine. And they were, I mean, they were getting toasted. And they would eat everything that wasn't nailed down. And by the time the people that were unemployed and didn't have a means of getting there in a timely fashion, by the time they arrived to eat at the agape service, the love feast, there was no food left and there was no communion wine to even drink. And he said, don't you understand that you are despising the church of God and you're disrespecting your brothers and sisters in Christ by excluding them? And so they were, that, they were rebuked because there was division. They were rebuked because they disregarded one another and they disrespected the true purpose of communion. And they also were rebuked because they were inviting divine judgment. Paul says this in verse 30. He says, for this reason, some of you are sick, others are weak, and some of you have even been prematurely taken out of here by God. Some sleep, some are dead. God took them out of this world because they did not rightly uh, partake of the communion. They dishonored the body and blood of Christ. Oh yeah, I'm not going to take of a part communion if if I if if my heart's not right. Well, getting your heart right means that you are in fellowship. You are in communion with other Christians. You shouldn't be comfortable knowing that you and your husband are not in fellowship. You shouldn't be comfortable knowing that there are members in your family that you are angry with uh, and that, that there is a division that you have not attempted to correct. That's unbiblical. That doesn't honor God. And so when we come to communion, 
And this sacred experience that should invite us in a special sense into the presence of the Lord, we really never enter into that level of intimacy with Christ because we haven't addressed the horizontal areas of unforgiveness and 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 brokenness in our relationships that God is saying, I'm using these to teach you how to be like me. And so there are consequences. There was divine, divine consequences. Now, how can we have communion through true communion? I'm glad you asked. How can we experience this? The first thing that we need to do is do everything in your power to maintain unity within the body of the Christ. We are one in Christ. Christ is the head, many members, but one body. But So that's positionally, but practically, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, do everything within your power to strive to, to, to use every ounce of your spiritual strength when you are encountering others to do what unifies and avoids division. And so that means when people come to you with gossip, when people come to you slandering people's names, when people come to you and reinforce things that are carnal and ungodly, you need to shut it down by saying, how does this reflect the unity of the body of Christ? And if it doesn't, it's sin, point blank. It's sin, I don't care who it is. It could be your mammy, your pappy. It don't matter who it is. If they come to you sowing seeds of discord, division in the body of Christ that is supposed to be a seamless garment, then they are not honoring their relationship with Jesus Christ and they're causing harm to you and to the church. You're not going to ever grow beyond your willingness to be obedient to the Lord, especially in the area of unity. Secondly, devote yourself to serving others, not just people you feel comfortable with. Oh, we are in a time where needs are all around us. We are in a time, I believe, that the church is going to be remembered for who it really is in ways that God has not provided in, in the past. The church is growing exponentially. But if we're not making our mark by being like Jesus, he said, I did not come to be served, but I've come to serve. Who are you serving? Whose life are you touching? What difference would it make if God were to take you out of the world today? Who would remember you other than those who are part of your immediate circle? And the Lord said that we should be extending to those who cannot return what we have to offer. The reason why God has caused our tables and our cup to overflow is not so that we will reserve it for ourselves, but that it will pour over into the lives of others as I am serving. I am at the service of others. And when we are serving others like Jesus, we are being most like him and the power of the spirit of God is most available to us when I make myself a willing and available vessel in the hand of God for the benefit of building up others. Devote yourself to serving others. Deal with your personal sin before you partake of the communion. It, it, it's time for us to stop playing with God. When you hold grudges, 
when you can be deliberately uh, vile in the things that you say and how you treat people. God is not pleased. The spirit of God should be convicting us when we go to bed angry. The spirit of God should be making you feel at dis-ease when you have not worked out of an opportunity to reconcile. He says, if you come to the altar with your money, with your praise, with your testimony, and then you realize that, that your brother has an art against you, the scripture says, leave your offering at the altar, leave the offering, and go and be reconciled to your brother. It doesn't matter how well you treat people outside of your home if you're mistreating those who you say are your own in, in your own personal family. Are you loving your own children? Do you love your own uh, wife? Wives, are you coming under the authority of your own husband? That is what honors God. Not lip service. Not saying all the right things. Not being super busy away from the home and, and having people uh, give you all kinds of accolades and recognition away from your Jerusalem. What do you live like at home? Would your loved one be able to say that they see Jesus on display when you don't get your way? Devote yourself to serving others. Deal with your personal sin. I'm telling you, you'll never be free to really experience the liberty in Christ. The Bible said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But so many Christians are in bondage. And sometimes the sin is not what we're doing to others, but it's the sin that we are perpetrating on ourselves, the sin of fear, the sin of anxiety, the sin of stress, where we're not trusting the Lord. And so we, we walk in a spirit of intimidation, we walk in a spirit of defeat. Here's an, a final thing. Not only do, do we want to deal with our personal sins, devote yourself to serving others and doing everything in your power to maintain unity, but also divide, decide, decide to treat other people the same way you want them to treat you. Stop waiting for people to make your day. Stop putting people on the meter. Let me see how much they love me. Let me see how much they recognize me. Let me see if they'll come and shake my hand while I'm at church. Let me see if somebody's going to pick up the phone to talk to me. Let me see if they're going to uh, text me a message. Let me see if they're going to acknowledge me on Facebook. No, no, that's not the biblical model. That's, the, that's how the Gentiles and the heathens that. The Bible tells us to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You cannot have communion without communing, without koinonia, without sharing and, and joint, as joint participants in something in common through love, through empathy, through communication and, and conversing and through conflict resolution. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even working out my differences with other Christians. I'm not going to give up on you because Jesus hasn't given up for me. I'm not going to stop praying for you because the Lord right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, he is praying for me. I'm going to keep on 
pursuing you as the Lord is pursuing us. Paul says, it's not good when church hurts people. One of the most moving and powerful stories in the Bible is in, for me, is found in 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 through 20. It's about four lepers. And they were outcasts from the city because they had a contagious disease. And the disease, it wasn't like corona because it was, actually, they, they were quarantined. They couldn't enter the city. And if anybody ever came in contact with them, they would have to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. So that's, in this account, uh, these lepers are locked outside the city, but everybody that's inside the city is under siege by the Syrians. And the Syrians are waiting to starve the people inside the city out. They can't come out to get food. And so the people are starving and, and people are dying inside the walls. And so the, the, the four leopards get to a point where there's no food that they can find and they're starving too. And so they have to make a decision. They said, we can either go into the city and they chase us out or execute us, or we can go to the Syrians and they chase us out or kill us. So they decided to go to the Syrians. What they didn't know is that God had caused the Syrians to hear the sound of chariots. And they felt like they were under attack. And so they gathered very little and they, they fled for their safety, even though they weren't being chased. I want you to know that God will make you feel that somebody's chasing you when there's nobody behind you. And so they left all their food. They left the treasures. And so the, the lepers stumbled across all this food and they start, I mean, they start throwing down. I can imagine they got food all in between their teeth and they just, they're just celebrating. They got clothes and they got money and they just really, they got their little group, their little clique. It's just the four of them. They going through all of the hell of being leprous and rejected and outcast and uninvited and uh, marginalized. And so here they are with everything that you could ever want. And so they could say, well, look, they mistreated us. They didn't allow us to come into the city. They didn't think about how hungry we were. And every time they saw us, they just they ran like we were some kind of, uh, like we are, lepers. They, mis they didn't really mistreat us. But instead, one of the lepers said, this is not good. How can we feast? How can we benefit from the blessings of God? While our other brothers... <laughs> While the children of God are still behind walls, still in bondage, still unable to feast, die of starvation. They said, we've got to do something about this. I don't care how they treated me. I don't, I'm not going to hold it against them that they kept me out of the city. I'm not going to uh, 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 let that uh, disrupt what God is saying to me right now. And so what they did, they went into the city and said, we're hungry beggars who have found food and we want to show you where you can get the same food. I want you to know when you're communing, you can have real communion because we understand that all of us are hungry beggars who have found the bread of life, Jesus Christ, the son of God, and we partaken of him and we found out like the woman at the well that if we would simply sup of him, partake of him, that he would satisfy us in ways that we would never hunger, we would never thirst again, that he would in fact be our shepherd, he would lead us beside the still waters, he would lead us to the green. Jesus has done that. And since he's done that for me, how dare I not share the bountiful blessings with others? 
as I fellowship with them through koinonia that honors God. You cannot truly have communion without communing with other believers. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now join me in prayer as we go before the Lord. If you have heard that message today, I'm talking to not just those who physically attend New Direction Bible Fellowship Church when we're in the building, but I'm sharing this invitation with many of you, hundreds of you who are listening to us from around the country, some in different parts of the world. You don't have to be in the same place to be a part of the same body, the body of Christ. And so I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus and become a member of the family of God so that we can experience this koinonia that starts on earth but extends into eternity. Pray with me this prayer if you believe that Christ died for you, your sins, all of us have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God, but the, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, that is separation from God, but the free gift of God, the gift is from God and it's free, is eternal life, life that never ends in the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And God, while we were without strength, while we were still in our waywardness, God demonstrated beyond any shadow of doubt how much he agapes us, how much he loves us by sending Jesus to die, that through him we can have a relationship, we can have koinonia with God. The Bible says, if you say with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is God and that God raised Christ from the dead, that you shall be saved right now. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So would you repeat this prayer after me? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and my sin separates me from you. I believe that Christ died for me, that he was buried and he rose on the third day. And that same Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, praying for me. Right now, he's knocking at the door of my heart, and I have decided to allow him to come in. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I accept you as both Lord, the controller, the ruler, the master of my life, and my Savior, the one who cleanses me from all of my sins past, present, and future. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision to trust Christ as your Savior today, I would ask that you would call our church and leave a message and someone will follow up with you so that we can begin to make uh, materials available so that you can grow in your relationship with Christ. At this time, we are going to uh, partake of Holy Communion. And again, I want to remind all of our partners, both those who attend our church and those who listen and follow